Hello and welcome to the Album of the Week Club. Each week we take a look at a legendary album through the lens of three people with differing levels of musical knowledge. Thus listening to and analysing albums make us appreciate them more and will it open our eyes to a whole new world of music. Well, let's meet our hosts. I'm Martin McDonnell and our resident expert in classic rock, alternative and indie music. Basically all the stuff with guitars in them. I'm also a former music journalist who owns over 500 albums on vinyl so I might just be qualified for this task. Following Snap at my heels is Harry Heath, direct from Sweden. Harry is a big indie head with more eclectic taste than myself and will hopefully keep me up to date with anything that's been released this century. How are we, Harry? Hello. Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to the new King Gizzard release tonight. Don't know if you ever listened to him. I know of him, but I can't say I'm someone who listens to them. Yeah, that's pretty insane with a release schedule, like famous release, five albums in a year. Um, yeah. Really diverse band, and if you get into them, you really get into them. <laughs> Did you say King Gizzard? Well, the whole King title is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, but they commonly go by King Gizzard. Okay, because that just sounds like a Godzilla monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that special organ which um, birds have to grind the stones with. Okay. In the stomach, like the ancient organ thing. Oh, okay, sure. And in the darkened corner of the room is a man who thought St. Vincent was the patron saint for potatoes. <laughs> a man who thought Crowded House was just an overlet multiple occupancy household. He's our resident <laughs> musical dunce, he's David Wiley. Yeah. How are we? Uh, yeah, no, not bad. Not bad. In the saga of the tap from last episode, it's now been installed. So, that's good. I know that was a long time ago. You probably don't remember or care. <laughs> what a gripping conclusion. Yeah. No. So I'm nice. so I'm happy. Put it that way. How are, how Congrats, are you? Mate. How are you, Martin? We never ask you how you I, are. I, I'm very good. Um, I, I am very exhausted after replastering my hallway this morning. But apart from that... <laughs> See, I just got a man to do the tap, so... Yeah, I, I I should have probably just got the man in myself, but yeah, you know, I, I I feel like getting a man to do plastering is much more socially acceptable than getting a man to install a tap, which is apparently very easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, it's probably more socially acceptable, but until until we can start getting paid for this podcast, I'm going to have to do my own plastering. <laughs> uh, but Wait, anyway, that's a possibility. <laughs> Not, not, not with our listening figures. Uh, but anyway, uh, this week we are taking a look at Marky Moon by Television. Uh, the album was released in February of 1977 and considered probably one of the first ever post-punk albums, which is ironic because punk hadn't really happened at this point. Pop-punk was really um, short-lived then, was it? <laughs> Uh, even more impressively, most of these songs actually date back to like 1974, 75. Mm. Um, so you're talking, you know, punk started around very late, sort of 75, 76, depending on who you want to talk to. The first major punk albums came out in 77, Never Mind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols and um, The Clash's self-titled album. Uh, they both came out about three months before this album. And Ramones yeah, was around about the same time as well, wasn't it? Uh, the Ramones was early 76 from memory. Yeah. Okay, that so was like beforehand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the song's been sort of floating around the aisle, but um, 
basically the band took ages to find a record label because um, lead songwriter, guitarist, vocalist uh, Tom Verlaine um, had an insistence that he was producing the album. And obviously for a first time debut album from a band, a lot of record labels just didn't want to know. Yeah, it's a pretty ballsy move. Oh, yeah. Like Frank Zappa, like, asking for the huge budget. Yeah. Um, So a little bit of brief background on the bands. Uh, They formed in 1973 and quickly found themselves playing a regular slot at CBGB's, uh, probably the first non-country blues grass band to play CBGB's. Mm -hmm. Um, So they played the Sunday night, got a bit of a crowd in, started getting attention, and uh, basically persuaded the owner to start getting in other bands of a similar ilk. So that led to the kind of um, rise of the CBGB scene and uh, bands like the Ramones, uh, Blondie and Talking Head started playing there. So in a way, television sort of birthed the scene. Um, also, Patti Smith, it should be mentioned as well. Um, so they're kind of a punkish band to start off with. Um, they had a bassist called Richard Hell, um, quite... Um, he had his demons, put it that way. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, but the band eventually signed to Electra Records, um, having turned down quite a few major records, including Island Records. Uh, they'd even actually recorded demos with uh, Brian Eno, um, quite famously um, now as a producer, but at the time he'd kind of just left Roxy Music, was starting to do some production. Um okay. But um, the band stated of those sessions that he recorded us very cold and brittle, no resonance, um, and we're really orientated towards strong guitar music, sort of expressionistic. Yeah, I heard those sessions are pretty, like, bootlegged. Yeah, they're widely bootlegged, but they're also widely acknowledged as being a bit shit. Okay, yeah. Um, maybe so I'll play So you listen to them or what? I've listened to the you know, bootleg, yeah. Um it's not anything special. Uh, so basically, Electro gave permission for Verlaine to produce, but they stipulated that the group um, had to um, use a named um, engineer um, to basically record all the sound and put it into the desks and all that. Um, so they went for uh, Andy Johns. Um, who's very famous uh, for his work with the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. Um, Those are some names. Yeah. Um, I mean, he produced uh, parts of uh, Physical Graffiti and Led Zeppelin 4, along with um, Goat's Head Soup by the Rolling Stones. How the hell did a debut band get someone like that? As I say, um, they they were a bit not in a bidding war, so to speak, but pretty much every major wanted to sign them. These were seen as something special. Okay, so there's a big hype around them. Yeah, yeah, for like, sure. Well, might by be the, the labels, thing. yeah, yeah, the labels definitely felt this was a band worth getting hold of. Um, so the band and Johns basically settled on having a bit of an unadorned sound. So they didn't want anything much on it, effects wise or anything. Just record what's there. Um, so the group had basically been recording over a few years, um, had got rid of Richard Hell and brought in a more jazzy bassist. So as a result, the band got really tight and really improvisational as well. Like they just knew each other inside out. Um, I think it shows on a few tracks late, you know, across the album. Um, most 
not all, but quite a few of the uh, tracks on this album were recorded in one take, the majority in about three or four, um, including the title track, which is about 10 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and when asked by uh, Johns to do another take of the title track, uh, Verlaine uh, reportedly told him to forget it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so they're really well-oiled outfit, but it's time like, oh, rehearse for sure, like yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, it, you know, say what you will about the track. I'd still do another take just in case. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I could mean, get destroyed. Yeah, that's that, that's that's the second ballsy move that this band have pulled off that we've talked about. <laughs> I think this is a band who definitely knew their worth. Yeah. Hmm. Either, either that um, or just a lot of balls. <laughs> yeah. like something you would expect of someone like Bob Dylan, who's established, but <laughs> not just like a Davy band. I know. Uh, but anyway, uh, the Cold album television. was <laughs> the album was highly acclaimed, in, in particular in the UK. Um, yeah. Nick Kent, quite a famous writer from The Enemy, uh, described the album as a new dimension of sonic overdrive with an inspired work of pure genius, a record finely in tune and sublimely arranged with a whole new slant on dynamics. Um, he also um, deemed the album's music to be vigorous, sophisticated and innovative at a time when rock is wholly conservative. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I probably agree with and that. And then um, without Vivian Goldman, <laughs> and then Vivian Goldman of Sounds Magazine, which is an American music magazine, um, declared it as obvious, unabashed, instant classic. Ooh. They do have magazines to sell too, as well. <laughs> so um, help, yeah. helps to save. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just amazing. saying. Uh, but the album reached number 28 in the UK charts. Um, and interestingly enough, it reached number 23 in Sweden. Ooh, why is that um, interesting? Yeah. Um, it, oh, interest- right, right, right. Um, it didn't Remember. chart in the US. It sold pretty poorly. I mean, within the sort of first two years, year and a half, two years, it sold about 80,000 copies in the US. Mm. Which is respectable for a, like a real indie band. But, um, you know, this is a record. This is a major label record with a major label budget. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. basically, the, the the record label sort of decided we're flogging a dead horse here and um, pulled their promotion. That's a shame, really. I don't think it's not really it, at the time. I don't think it was really a US thing by the looks of it. Oh, this is such a like you could see how this went in with the UK punk scene at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they had a kind of cult following in America, but just never never really got past kind of cult status. A cult following of about 80,000 by the sounds of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, it is really hard to promote a band called Television. <laughs> like, have, have you heard of Television? Have you seen Television? <laughs> These aren't like really... Have, 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 you, have, you, have you heard the first television release? Just <laughs> why? It, it why seems are like they... obvious. Like they shot themselves in the foot. I guess they wanted yeah. to be like controversial. Maybe I don't know. There, there, there's Americans used to say, "I don't know." It's destroying our youth. Maybe it was like, <laughs> like, like that. I don't know. I don't know if per se that they were looking to piss people off or were trying to be controversial. I was just going to ask. The point. I think they just knew what they wanted. Oh, yeah, 
Do we do we know why they called themselves television? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems a better choice back then. It is now like it's incredibly yeah. hard to like use uh, their band name of like search algorithms nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. As I say, but... yeah, like it's it's hard to come up with clever one name band names nowadays. Mm. They're quite well, I, su- I, su- I suppose yeah. the modern equivalent would be a band called internet (laughs) router router (laughs) wi-fi broadband (laughs) house yeah oh god fiber optic fiber optics fiber optic actually sounds like a band name though i can see that happening ethernet I don't know why we have to sort of say it in that sort of Jeremy Clarkson sort of. <laughs> oh God! You know. Uh, so anyway, fiber who, optic. Who, who's in the band? We've already talked about Tom Verlaine. Uh, yeah. So the you had. Um, oh God! This is going to trick me out a little bit. Uh, so yeah, Tom Verlaine and Rich Lloyd on guitar. And they kind of alternate, like sometimes Verlaine does a solo, sometimes Lloyd does a solo. Yeah. So. Um, Richard Lloyd tended to be a bit more neat and organised in his... I've done that thing while I talk television in Google. It's just start trying to sell me TVs from Curry's. <laughs> so I can, I can see it on the shared screen and I saw that going very wrong. That was... <laughs> just trolling you. Uh, yeah, so um, in terms of the lineup on this album, you had uh, Tom Verlaine, uh, Billy Ficker, who was a drummer, um, and then... This is where I'm going to go wrong or right. Um, Fred Smith. I believe it's Fred Smith on bass and then um, Richard Lloyd on guitar. Um, The band are reformed at the moment um, and play, you know, a few gigs a year at best. Um, Yeah. With the lineup of uh, Tom Verlaine, Billy Fika, Fred Smith, and I think Jimmy Rip was the one to replace. um, Yes, he was. Um, He was the one to replace Richard Lloyd. Oh, okay. And Verlaine's like also doing production, like you said. Um, yeah. I see he plays some keyboards. He does indeed. He's a bit of an all-rounder, really, yeah. Um, okay. I mean... Jack of all trades. Yeah. I mean, basically, um, Verlaine and Lloyd, sort of by the time this album or the next album came out, they just weren't getting along. The band split up um, and Verlaine went on a solo career. Um, and on his... I think it's his self-titled uh, debut album. He actually recorded a song called Kingdom Come, which was then uh, later covered by David Bowie on his album, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. So, you know, oh. it's the only cover on that album as well. It wasn't like an album of covers. Like, just, okay. you just had like 10 Bowie songs and one cover. You know, it's quite, quite a, you know, quite a statement. Yeah, quite a compliment, yeah. You know, if you're going to get covered by Bowie on a Bowie studio album, you know you've probably done all right. Yeah, I definitely see him up Bowie Street. Yeah, I mean, um, he's also toured a few times with Patti Smith as well. I'm sure I've seen Tom Verlaine play with Patti Smith. So, um, what's everyone's history of this? Like, obviously, you've listened to him enough to listen to Brian Eno, <laughs> like, bootleg um, albums. To be fair, no. I've, I listened to the Brian Eno bootlegs in, in the run-up to this. Oh, okay, okay. But fair enough. I am ultra-familiar with this album. 
Oh, okay. See, I I had never listened to it, and I never heard of Tom Verlaine before this, but he seems like a really impressive dude. Yeah. Um, but I guess I never gone down as like seventies punk route, even though this isn't punk. It's post punk before yeah. punk was even a year old or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I was really surprised to find out doing sort of the run, like doing my sort of research, so to speak, for this. Um, I always thought that Tom Verlaine must have had a bit of German in his backgrounds, but I can't find any sort of sign of it, you know, looking up online. He seems like an American lad, you know. Yeah, but, but New York City, yeah, came back from everywhere. As I say, he does sound a bit, you, like, you know what I mean? He's got a bit of kind of Europeanness in his vocal. Yeah. It doesn't sound like the vocals full-blown American. dive into the songs? I don't know. Um, let's dive into Pretty the songs because we'll probably talk about the vocals as we go along. All right, all right. I imagine so, yeah. Okay. And, and um, in, a, in, in answer to your question, Harry, I'd never heard of the band before <laughs> we started doing this. We just I mean, assumed we, as much. We, I think we, we've mentioned them in a few episodes um, and I'm sure I made some sort of comment about it at the time. Uh, yeah. I think yeah, it probably new. came up particularly during the um, Ramones episode. Most likely. Because, Considering um, the Ramones have come up in this episode, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. well, say so they they all played the same club. Yeah, yeah, which um, means that in a couple of weeks' time we get to do Blondie and then Talking Heads. <laughs> so I would not object. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, this is See No Evil. That is see no evil. Uh, let's go to Wiley. Go on. Go yeah. on. Uh, no, this is it. I think of all the tracks on this album, this is the most familiar one. Mm. I think they they start off with something a little, a tiny bit more mainstream. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's fun. I mean, I said basic but competent, but I don't. I think basics <laughs> are really. It's just in so comparison basic. to the rest of the album. I would say it's still yeah, it's still it's... complex. You've still got. Uh, good guitar work. It's classic rock, almost. You mean like they don't have identity on it as much? As like yeah, the other that's songs. a very good way of putting it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but it's still a very good song. I like it a lot. Yeah, it seems like the most punky of yes. the album, maybe. Yeah, it is very punky. Except, yeah. Um, it, it doesn't go so stereotypically of like how punk songs go. Like You can hear the bounces. I mean, the bass is bouncing about. Instead of like just doing like the root notes or something like that, yeah. And there's like all these uh, dual guitars going on, which isn't very punk either. They're doing completely different stuff. Yeah, 
they're, they're sort of taking punk and doing something different. And this, yeah. This is the one that still resembles punk in many ways. <laughs> um, especially the vocals, if anything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got that they sort don't of have sneeriness like, that punk has. Yeah. They're not, like, as aggressive as usually uh, punk vocals are or, like, I don't know, laid back as they can be. Mm. But it's definitely a unique vocal. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of talking heads like if anything else i don't know yeah that's a what good other bands sound like this yeah it's I, I get what you mean with the talking heads reference a bit it just sort of that disaffected kind of where it's almost abstract yeah but you've got an energy behind it as well um, it feels more like a texture in a way yeah i mean the, the lyrics again i really love on this one it's just like the way he kind of almost like top, uh, like across the album, he uses like these sort of uh, double entendres and things like that, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a particular line that always sticks out when I listen to this song. I just think it's a cracking little one liner. Um, I get your point, you're so sharp. That's nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny because points are sharp. Yeah, that's that, that it, that's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the solo on this, I when didn't... it takes off into the solo, is just all chef's kiss. Yeah, I really loved the little breakdown for it too. Yeah. It, the guitar tone is really colourful. Yeah. It's not like what you expect so much from the 70s. <laughs> it just takes off. It really does. It, 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 it really feels like you're in a kind of, like from the get-go, like you're in a whirlwind. Mm. You know, it's just like okay, I'm I'm in. You know, <laughs> yeah. You get caught up in a madness. Of it, yeah. yeah. So I play a little bit of this, like from the solo onwards because I just love the way it sort of you know takes the song up. You know, it's it's such a well constructed solo in that regard. It doesn't feel like they're just putting a solo in for the sake of a solo. Oh, that I mean, that happens a lot in music. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. Hold on, just here we go. So it's from one forty, one forty-five. That solo just absolutely. <laughs> I love how it, I love how the opening is just ramping up through yeah. the notes. Do, I mean, does it go a full octave? I think. Uh, yeah, I'd say yeah, it probably does. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, not the greatest sort of technician when it comes to music, but yeah, it must be around about an octave, maybe a oh, half octave. Yeah, <laughs> um, it definitely goes up. Yes. Yes, that's that's the level of our knowledge. That's yeah. <laughs> I heard that he was pretty inspired by surf rock, and you can kind of hear that here. Yeah, especially in the bass line, that sort of... Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean, like the, the breakdown before we get to the solo. Yeah. But as I say, it's just... Everything about it, it just feels high octane, you know? And you go, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm you know... I, <laughs> It's just, it's like as I've said before on it on certain tracks when we've done these podcasts, you know, it's tracks that feel like they're sort of almost like a runaway train. 
Mm-hmm. This feels like that. And you're just like, you know what? I'll take the ride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, which is kind of weird, kind of with the rest of the album, perhaps, or elements of the rest of the album, you kind of go, you know, it. see, it's a great opener, but it's a bit of an outlier as well. It is. Because it's weird. you've got nothing that's quite this fast and loose mm. following. Everything else is very constructed. Yeah. I feel like mm. in that sense, they have put it at the right place in the album. though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, if the rest is going to be a bit slower, <laughs> a bit more contemplative, then it makes sense to open on the uh, fast one. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising that it didn't make it as a single. Mm. So, so Marky Moon and is it? Prove it. Yeah. Yeah. And they seem like pretty ballsy choices too. Mm. This one seems like the clear. Well, I mean, if we've learned anything about television, Harry, it's that they're ballsy. (laughs) (laughs) Did you pick up on the lyrics much? Um, Martin's like singling them out, but Uh, not really rapid fire. I didn't pick up on any from this track, but I have. I did force myself to try and focus on them because I always miss out on lyrics. So I've got a few things from later on, but not on this track. Yeah, the thing is they're pretty like flowing and poetic at times. So yeah, uh, like like Martin found he just like picked out a refrain that he really likes, but sometimes it can just be like something out of the dark, like not necessarily tied to the whole song as a theme. Yeah. Okay, uh, should we go on to uh, the next track, Venus? Yes, that's Venus. Uh, let's go to Harry. Hello. Yeah, this is a really bright song. I love the tone of the guitar again. It yeah. feels very indie. Like, uh, this feels like the sort of tonality that the strokes would use or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's really surprising to hear that in the 70s again. <laughs> I'm guessing they have a bridge pickup pretty high and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I exactly mean, how they get the tone. I'd say this one's probably got the most in common with like talking heads as well. Okay. Like it, in sort of way. Um in in the sort of like a bit like you're sort of saying with the strokes influence, I think like the way the guitar's played and everything's a bit heavy on the sort of treble, if you want to call it that. Mm. You know, it's a very bright song, but it's kind of got a bit of 
bite on the on the underneath. I think um, Talking Heads have always done that quite well. Um, it hasn't got, kind of got the Talking Heads rhythm work in the same way at all, you know. But at the poppier end of the Talking Heads sort of spectrum, you know, this is the sort of stuff that okay. Talking Heads would do, I think. Yeah. And obviously the strokes are from New York. And it's just interesting that this sort of like scene emerges again, like 30 years later, a little bit with the same guitar style. Yeah, I mean... In, in a way. I mean, the Strokes always felt a bit of an outlier within that New York scene. Mm. Um, because the rest of the scene were a lot more, um, you know, disco-y, if you want to call it that. Yeah. They were like indie bands who hung around in discos. So they always had that more electronic sound as well. So sort of like LCD sound system, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs even, uh, the Bravery... Or, or um, like more book pop, if you think about I don't know, Vampire Weekend or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're a bit more willing to sort of include electric elements in their sort of, you know, band. Whereas the Strokes were straight up CBGB style punk rock. Just adapted for an indie crowd. Yeah. I get really interested by how, like, scenes rotate for the years. Yeah. I mean, I always kind of considered the strokes in with the scene with like, um, more like the White Stripes and, um, does anyone remember the band The Vines? Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was before. a massive fan of The Vines. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they all kind of got banded around. They're all from different states and all that. But I think, well, The Vines were actually Australian, I believe. But, um, you know, they're all sort of a bit more throwback. Whereas I think the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's LCD sound system Bands like that were a bit more forward-looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Interpol as well, obviously. I shouldn't uh, forget to mention them. Uh, but anywho, uh, yeah, Venus, um, I've not got as much to say on this one as some of the others. I like the song. Do I think it's a standout? No. I think it's like a really colourful, like, intro track. But it's just like there's some really strong tracks later on. And yeah, yeah. They're think- more like... For ones that stand out, I guess, but yeah, there's nothing say, wrong with the song, isn't no, it? No, no, as I say, nothing wrong with it. It sits nice in the album, but you know, if I was plucking a track out to show to someone, it wouldn't be this one. <laughs> uh, Wiley, oh, anything to add? I really like it. Um, yeah, I, I think the riff is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it keeps going throughout the entire song, uh, they keep returning to it. Uh, it sets the tone nicely. Um, I, I did pick up on a lyric at one point. They mentioned the arms of the Venus de Milo, which yeah. uh, obviously the Venus de Milo doesn't have arms. Which, <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's clever. But, if, if, you know, if I'd known what the rest of the lyric was, it might have made more sense. Yeah, I fell into the arms of Venus. Oh, Something so, like yeah, uh, it's, it's some sort of metaphor then. About a gummy yeah, Venus. Really clever. No, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> the various gummy of them all. <laughs> Carved by gummy artisans who work exclusively in the medium of gummy. <laughs> Will you guys stop saying gummy? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what television were on about when they wrote mm, this. Sweet Venus. <laughs> Creep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, shall we move on to friction? <laughs> yes, before we <laughs> descend before into Simpsons world any further. Away from us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, that is friction. Let's go to Wiley. I think they like friction. <laughs> Keep talking about it. You know what? They like friction so much they even resort to spelling it at one point. <laughs> yeah. Very late in the song. But I don't think um, many songs had ever done that by that stage. It's kind of cool. No, do, do you think they inspired respect? Is that. <laughs> I think that was Ooh. before. <laughs> yeah, very early. But... Oh, really? <laughs> That's oh. 60s, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was tied to the civil rights movement. Yeah. Ah, that makes sense. Ah, now I like that song even more. But uh, Friction, though, uh, though, it's fun. It's fun. I like it. I think um, I quite like the way that it frequently feels as if the sound is falling apart, but they still have that control over it. Yeah. I, I, suppose, think, you know, I think you know um, what I mean when I say that. kind of tension or yeah. friction. Oh. oh, look at that. That's fantastic. My work here is done. Yeah. <laughs> Mars just slowly pushes away on his wheeled uh, swivel chair. Next song. I uh, wish I had my sunglasses there. I'd just do like the fucking CSI. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like glasses down. Yeah! <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, no, I like this. <laughs> you ask you. Uh, go on, go on. <laughs> <What do you laughs> um, yeah, I would say, I, if, if, I think Wiley put it succinctly. If it's it's a song that really does feel like it's on the verge of falling apart, but it's kind of got a lot more sort of, of a sinister feel than the rest of the album, perhaps. Yeah. Like, I, I really like kind of how it, it, it sort of feels like it's a bit more dangerous. Mm. Yeah, it feels... Like a fever dream, kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shout. It's nice to see so far that each song has an individuality to it. Yeah, mm. everything sort of ties in nicely, but mm. y- there's no sameishness. No. Very distinct feel for each track. Yeah. I-, I like how it is all about one word as well. It kind of reminds me of fame or something like that. Um, because just a heavy emphasis on the title word. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, that, that is done in a completely different style, obviously. It's like apocalyptic, maybe. Yes, I do prefer... to one since I, to live forever. Yes, I, I, I certainly prefer this song to the song Fame from uh, the musical Fame. I don't mean that Fame. Oh, uh, is there a different one? I mean the one by John Lennon, sorry. Or <laughs> David Bowie. Oh, uh, okay. right. too. Yeah, my, my apologies. I think, I you know what I, I think, think Martin both our minds just, went that way. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's 
Well, well, I thought I was talking to a David Bowie officiante. <laughs> yeah, but by the same degree, you know. You, you I then think... said it was a song all about fame, and I was like, well, it's got about fame. fame. <laughs> sorry, sorry. The obvious yeah. famous fame song. Yeah. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Uh, shall we go on to. Is huge in this song, too. Sorry. I, I do like the gang vocals. Yeah, like a bit, a bit punky in a way. Yeah. Like some of the backing vocals, and I mean punk element of this outfit maybe yeah i just say that definitely you know that's what's adding that little grit to this sort of quite a finely tuned engine Mm. this gives a bit of character i suppose yeah some of the lyrics in this are kind of crazy too (laughs) like um when he says you complain of my diction it kind of yeah splits it up a bit to get a bit entendre yeah (laughs) See, all that reminds me of is when you're in um, secondary school and you had the keyboards in the uh, music room. <laughs> and people love the dictionary button. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> or word. Oh, God. Um, we had like Fruity Loops, which is like our main thing that we used in music class. It's like a sort of you sampling software. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they come with all these preloaded samples. And... I don't think Fruity Loops sold like an educational version. You just bought the software from Fruity Loops, you know. Yeah. And um, as a result, some of the samples really shouldn't have been available to kids. Oh, dear. (laughs) 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 Um, There was like like female voices going, I'll give you pleasure. Oh dear. Oh no. <laughs> and um, some uh, moans. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the amount of kids who uh, would uh, sneak those into their uh, work. <laughs> yeah. uh, we had, There were a couple of no, those cool. on the keyboard as well. I think, I think one of the, um, one of the instruments was vocals. Yeah. And a certain key, if you pressed it, would just go, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it's from a Daft Punk song or something. (laughs) What songs did they make you like play on the keyboards at school? Uh, Oh, When the Saints. Oh. I could do um, Stand By Me. Oh, that's cool. Oh, okay. They tried to be more trendy in my school. We learned like, Where Is The Love by Black Eyed Peas. Oh, right. That's all I remember. I I remember I gave up music as soon as I could, so (laughs) you may have gone further and done. I had a I had a friend. I don't know if he he learned it in music. It was was the year below me. I'm I don't know if he learned it in his music class or whether he he just self taught. Um, but he learned the um intro riff to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. (laughs) Oh okay. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um. Oh no, we did other things. Um. Uh, I think it was Tubular Bells, the Mike Oldfield thing. Ooh, yeah, but it it was. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it was the main track on it. It was. Yeah, I can't. Was the rem- main track? I know they called it Tubular Bells, but I remember looking it up afterwards, and Tubular Bells was something slightly different. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. So, so it wasn't the one from the Exorcist, Exorcist the famous riff. So oh, do, I do, think. Do 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 do. Go on, tr- do it again. I mean, it's something like that. 
It was like um. Oh yeah, that is it. That's the little build up bit. Yeah, it is that one. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's the one where the key it the key changes like every other part. Like tubular bells takes up like an entire fucking record. Yeah, I think the movements. Yeah, I think it was it was a certain part of it, and I think they did it to emphasize the use of like not key change bars. So it was it was it was always three four, but then occasionally it was four four, and mm. yeah, I didn't learn Ooh. much from it. <laughs> that would be a cool album to talk about if it comes up. No, yeah, I, I would be surprised if it wasn't in there. It's, mm. pretty, it's pretty big. I think it's a one bit like um, Jean Michel Jarre. I think it mm. kind of it, it it it's influence or you know in sort of critical influence. It sort of faded over the years, and now it's become quite trendy to piss on it. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it just sort of seems I think, like, like it was like a these... phase maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, where, like, John michel Jarre was really, really, like, a critic's favourite. And mm. his stuff was getting reacclaimed. And now he's gone back out of fashion. Okay. Um, except in France, of course. Maybe the Chiba Labels thing has to do with like I think it was to do with records becoming yeah. like this global empire and it being yeah. so attached to that. Yeah. Um and I mean the only things I can ever name by Mike Oldfield is Tubular Bells and um that Christmassy song in Dolso Jubilo, whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, still struggling to say it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we go on to Marky Moon then? Yeah, let's do it. Strap yourselves in.
Okay, yeah, so that's Marky Moon. Uh, let's go to Harry. Ah, it's impossible to know where to start with this song. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like over 10 minutes, right? Um, it's got so many different sections. And yes. We're talking about a post-punk band, but this is really like prog rock territory. Yeah. Like, um, Absolutely. One of the longest songs we tackled so far, like, I don't know, Battle of Epping Forest was kind of similar in its grandiosity, but... This feels like a really, like well-rounded concept, and it yes, amazingly like flows together. Uh, and you say it was recorded in one take, and I'm yeah wondering how in the hell they accomplished that. <laughs> <laughs> it's mental the idea that this was recorded in one take. Yeah, I, I mean the timings on it are so tight. Yeah, you know, it's it's so textuous as well. No, what, there's like, not like a single fluff note on either solos one, two, or three. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the solos are managed by the different guitarists, right? Um, yeah, they share. But um, I mean, generally speaking, the the more uh, loose ones are Tom Belaine and the tighter ones are Richard Lloyd. General rule across the album. All right, all right. okay. But yeah, I, I I mean, lyrically, it's a fun kind of concept as well. You know. Some great little kind of lyrical bits, you know, like about the, uh, you know, the man whose uh, dog's gone mad, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, did no one pick that bit up? <laughs> going to elaborate on it? I don't know. Sorry, Mad Dog is a character in uh, The Raid, which is a sort of, that's that's all I'm getting from uh, a man Mad Dog Logan. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, which is far removed from what you're talking about, I'm afraid. I don't, you're going to need to elaborate. Yeah, some okay. Right. There's probably lyrics to dive into as well. So there's a third paragraph or third verse. Um, I spoke to a man down at the tracks and I asked him how he don't go mad. He said, look here, Junior, don't you be so happy. And if heaven's sake, don't be so sad. I always heard it as why your dog don't go mad. <laughs> so oh, I got right. it wrong. Yeah, my so, bad. That's why he was even more. Because I think it's because he's down at the tracks, so I'm thinking dog racing. Yeah. Oh, I always assume train tracks, but... Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I heard dog tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah I was... Right, I, <laughs> I think it's is, is probably asking him why he doesn't go mad because he keeps losing. Yeah, you definitely get the idea of him. You get the idea of people being down on their luck. Yeah. (laughs) It definitely sounds very Dylan esque to you. You know, like, don't you be so happy and for heaven's sake, don't be so sad. (laughs) It's like really like. um, Just just be normal. (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of those turn of phrases, which is really like Dylan. Yeah, I mean, um, some nice little kind of lyrics is, again, you know, like the, the kiss of death, the embrace of life. You know, it's it's very much a sort of play, but, you know, life yeah, on both it. sides. Yeah. You know, it's sort of someone who's trying to kind of contemplate life and death, really. Yeah. You know, um, but it's done in such a vague way. It kind of just lends itself to being a song as opposed to some sort of big statement. 
Yeah, I don't think they're trying to do anything um, huge with it. No, but you know, let's you know let the music do the kind of job with it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But as I say, it's so well structured. It's so so well structured. I mean, I could pick out bits to play, but there's like so many bits to play. Just just listen to the full track. <laughs> <laughs> just go away, kids. Listen to the fucking track. Uh, my personal favourite bit is the lead up to each chorus. Oh right, yeah. When the guitar comes in, uh, yeah, yeah, some really earwormy like hooks. There. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, really um, colourful. I mean, like the uh, the entire second half of the track is just solos, isn't it? Yeah, I'll play. I'll go from yeah, about. I think it starts on five minutes, maybe. Yeah, I'll go from seven forty-five, just choosing a kind of random point in it. But I think that's when like the solo hits its biggest point, if you get what I mean. Mm. It always um, sounds like his guitar's protesting at some point, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I please, mean, no more. <laughs> I mean, um, story I find brilliant about this is this song, I say one take recording by all accounts, is that mm. the drummer didn't even know this was a recorded take. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's he thought they were just rehearsing it. <laughs> that, is, that is professionalism right there. <laughs> but he that's does not drop a beat. Yeah. No, of course not. Because he's a professional, Martin. I don't know what professionals are. <laughs> <laughs> Different times, I guess. <laughs> uh, shall yeah. we go on to it's Elevation? Really... Or Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, that solo is really kicking. Um, yeah. It feels kind of loose and, I don't know, mm. Indian-y. Uh, like, it uses like a Melidian mode, I think. Yes. So it, it feels like... From like I don't know a hot summery place. Feels like a Vargo. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mixolydian isn't like the most common one to use. Like um, it's famous for like being in songs like Lady Delay, Norwegian Wood, Sweet Child of Mine, even. Yes. But yeah. when it is used, it really stands out. Yeah, yeah, because it kind of is say it, it, the ears sort of perk because it's not what you're used to. You're used to hearing um mainly pentatonic yeah so it kind of like jumps yeah. some like um keys sometimes i don't know how best to describe it no no i get, I get what you mean there's a lot of movement within like, the structure do, do, of the song do. so every time your brain starts going oh this is getting a bit same bam something else mm. hmm. um but it doesn't jar if you get what i mean it's not like sudden changes it's very all very gradual yeah everything yeah. flows nicely into the yeah. next bit it's good and I was, I've got written down here, even though 
like the majority of the song is comprised of guitar solos. The song is actually very collaborative. Yeah, between yeah. the whole band, um, mm. it, it wouldn't sound right if it was just if the guitar. Was no, on, no, so. no. I mean that rhythm section's in the pocket, you know. Yeah, like every, mm. every everyone is working in perfect unison. Yeah, it's, it's a proper sort of mm. like like the best prog bands do and the best like rock and roll bands do. It's it's just a band that are in total unison with each other. Yeah. And I, and I will say as well, I listened to this song particularly twice in the yeah. lead up. And now like this would this is my third listen. Each listen I've liked it more. <laughs> so Um I mean this is definitely the standout track. This is the one that, you know, if you've asked a casual in like indie fan who knows music from that era, this would be the one they knew. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm not going into so much detail because it's kind of a to a certain audience it's already known. Yeah. Ah, okay. But yeah, we definitely give the other like band members room to breathe. Um, when they end the song, they go back to the beginning, but they just do yeah. it, like with rhythm instruments first, and yeah. then come back for guitars. Well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice little kind of um. Because on the on the single edit, it goes out at that point. Mm. Um, when I say single edit, I mean like there was a, there's an edit for what for the single. Um, I think it comes in about six to seven minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, as I say, it just misses that kind of the, the fake out without like the fake out makes it for me. You know what I mean? It's sort of, you think the song's over and then suddenly it just picks back up with the rhythm section. You go, Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's like, Oh, uh, and yeah. another thing just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sort of like, you know, throwing a strop and resigning from work, you know, walking out of the building and then just running back in and cunt punt in the, uh, <laughs> the boss, you know. <laughs> After the dust has settled. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, uh, let's okay. go on to Elevation. Yeah. So yeah, that's elevation. 
And uh, it's a small wonder that the uh, Cardigans never got sued. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, has anyone ever heard of the band The Cardigans? I've heard of them, but I don't know. What you're um, <laughs> there's a song no. by The Cardigans called Love Fool. Mm-hmm. And well, I'll just play a little bit because seriously, how they never got sued. There's bits in it later as well, right? They just lift like I think there's about four different bits of riffage <laughs> yeah. in this one song and just rearrange it around. Like the opening was so similar. Oh, was... God. <laughs> Those sneaky sweets. Those sneaky sweets. But yeah, uh, Elevation. Uh, Harry, any thoughts? It's a bit like a mole digging in a hole, digging up my soul. Elevation. Yeah, it's a U2 song. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? What? Oh, he's referring to the U2 song. I see. That, that, no, I didn't get that. Um, yeah, I quite, I like, I quite like this one. It's, um, it's, it's weird because you have to, it's sort of, when listening to it, you've just, you've just gone through Marky Moon. Yeah. Uh, so, like, getting yourself into the headspace of an entirely new song is a bit, dif- bit difficult after ten and a half. Minutes. Yeah, I mean. It's it's a good, really well placed in the track listing in that regard because it's again a bit like Venus. It's quite poppy. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the reason I don't like Venus is because this and Elevation have so much in common, and Elevation mm. does it better in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I think this one's a bit more like Fiction in a way that it all revolves around like one central theme again. Yeah, mm. and it's definitely a bit more laid back after. Last track, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is quite laid back. Um, I think this one sort of made me realise that a lot of these songs are kind of like journeys. Yeah, mm. you 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 are taken through a few different uh, emotions, I suppose. Yeah, this song really develops. Um, yeah, I think this one in particular, the album, like it takes on a whole different character about mm. halfway through. It does, yeah. and it sort of turns into, I don't know, like a Led Zeppelin epic in a way, but mm. its guitars are like really becoming menacing and stuff. I think it's around like the 255 mark, it really just mixes up like that. Yeah. I mean, I'll just play it a tiny bit, so I'll go from 255. You're still on Love Fool. I am indeed, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, 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 we don't, don't want to hear any more of that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, <laughs> just epic, <laughs> epic again. Yeah, 
yes, or something like um, the late Zeppelin ones, like Achilles Last Stand or something like that. It sounds yeah, like, it makes a bit sense like because it's of, the same um, producer in the evening and as well. Yeah, and again, it's amazing how it goes from that back to the chorus again. Yeah, really nice transition there. This is definitely you can tell this is a band who know all the genres. Like these aren't just a group of punks. They clearly yeah, guitar George, he knows all the chords. <laughs> they clearly know a bit of jazz. They clearly know a bit of you know rock and roll. You know classic rock, pop, surf rock. You know what I mean? They know all of the influences, and they yeah. you know pick little bits out. You know to create their own thing. Whereas I think punk at its heart is very rudimentary. Yeah. Mm. You know, um, and that's, I suppose that's kind of what makes this one of the first post-punk albums is that they take that punk attitude, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then it's just brought up a level. It's like punks who can actually play their instruments what? and actually think, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird of them phone into that like blender because you know, mm. they're playing the same clubs and stuff, but they're totally different. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Creatures of a different silk entirely. As I say, yeah. <laughs> I imagine they probably played similar stuff when they were at the clubs and then they sort of developed in the intervening years between that and this album. Yeah, they were a little bit rough at the beginning, but they're definitely yeah. a rock band, not a punk band. I think the kind of, in the sense of them getting categorised as post-punk, I think kind of the reason for that is where this album came out just on the cusp of punk a lot of punk sort of, you know, the punk movement got played out very quick. Mm. And a lot of these sort of punks or people who are into punk were sort of looking, you know, they're going, okay, right. A bit bored of what's coming out in the punk scene right now. And they'd sort of look back a step. So they were sort of looking towards what was released in like 74, 75, 76. And then this was one of those albums where people listened back to it and went, you know what? This is a good direction to go down. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like they particularly looked at the garage rock in the 60s. Yeah. Like, um, what's the one? Elevators, what are they called? 13th Floor Elevators. That's it. Definitely feel like vibes of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, not so much Stooges, but there's a bit of that kind of um, sinisterness that the Stooges sort of excelled in. Oh, okay. That's a Iggy Pop spammer. Yes. Um, you know, the way that they always had that sort of menace to them. There's sort of certain tracks on here that have got that bit of menace, like Friction. I'd say Elevation, again, has a bit of menace to it. Yeah, there is a little bit. Did anyone get any lyrical interpretation for this one? Um, Not incredibly, to be honest with you, apart from the sort of pun of the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Elevation, don't go to my head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's pretty much where I was at, yeah. (laughs) Like you can you can you can be literally elevated going up a mountain, and because you've lost oxygen, you're getting a bit lightheaded. Just in case uh, the but, uh, listener didn't understand a very obvious double entendre. <laughs> you you know what? I had to think about it, so um, <laughs> I'm 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 hol- I'm holding out for people. Uh, but is also the element of it being in New York City, where it's these mm. huge elevations of buildings and stuff. Yeah. So that oh, that's, way that would, of life oh, so going to the head. So that's a third one then. Because <laughs> I, I sort of related it to the idea of becoming famous. 
Yeah, it's also uh, a song about insects because Bono also did a song called Elevation and he was the fly. Oh, of course. Classic. <laughs> this, is, the, the, this interpretation has run away from me. Let's move on. We're <laughs> <laughs> going to strange places. Yeah. I need a guiding light. Yes, that is uh, Guiding Light. Let's go to Harry. It's been a nice arpeggio going on. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of like expecting the guy to start singing, My beloved monster and me. <laughs> it's kind of like a similar vibe to the Eel song. Um, I really like covered before. I really like the fact that, you know, it's taken till track six and we've only got some keyboard. <laughs> and it's, well, it's piano, I think, but you know what I mean? It just yeah. kind of adds a little bit of dynamic to things. Yeah, it's getting a bit more ballady and softer. Yeah, I, I think this is the secret, sort of the secret star of the album for me. Like, it's just a really well crafted pop song. Yeah, it feels kind of like um Rolling Stones territory. Yeah, um, especially the vocals. I'm, I, I never really thought about it, but it's kind of Mick Jagger. Yeah, it's got a times. bit of Jagger esque to it, especially on this song. Um. I mean, that solo as well, the way it elevates the song is very sort of early 70s Rolling Stones. Mm. You know, it's a really nice tone to these uh, solos. Oh, yeah. It's really clean and just know, trying to, thin and skinny. Yeah, even, I'm trying like to remember what point the solo's at. I mean, I think 240. 240. It's the first one at least. Okay. <laughs> oh. that tone. (laughs) And um, they're also doubling each other, aren't they, at points? Yeah, yeah something that Leonard Skinner did. Yeah. Um, just makes it really powerful. Like Finn Lizzie as well, quite famous for it, of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, just oh, sublime. Absolute sublime. <laughs> as I say, yeah. you know, it's so quick, that solo as well. It doesn't like outstay its welcome, but it just lifts that song again. Mm. 
you know it really comes in strong as well because um the chorus is pretty softly delivered yeah then it just comes in like this massive force <laughs> even though it's a really pleasant noise that's <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah it's just that's to say um it just it's 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 sort of where some of the songs sort of a bit more of a sort of hit you know this is like it just sweeps you away you know you you just kind of get swept up in you know in the flow of it Mm. you know it's as i say it's we're talking about you know singles we're saying all marky moon and guiding light they're a bit odd you know but i totally get why this was yeah uh, and like you said, it's a secret source to the album. Um, yeah, it, it, it sort of like shows that they're not just a straight up sort of, you know, um, you know, I was going to say punk band, band, but they're not a punk band, but you know what I mean. It's just... I, sorry, I'm sorry, Mark. I don't think this was a single. What have you got down as singles? I think Prove It is the other single. Um, oh, yeah, Marky, me and Prove It. I know, I know this got a lot of radio play on like college rock yeah that's because okay. it's better than prove it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know, I know it's also been used a few times on soundtracks mm. and no that. i'm not going to prove it Yes, let's prove it. Let's go to Wiley. Yeah, it's okay. I there, there are there are some good facets to it, but I think yeah, in comparison to the rest of the album, it's probably a slight cut below. I think it's me. it's got good good riffs. It's got you know what I mean, but it's it's mess. Yeah. It's compared to the rest of the album, it's a bit messy. Yeah, it's it's missing that special something that the rest of them mm. seem to have. It just doesn't um, feel as organized. Yeah. The the vocalization sounds very Ramones to me, like the way their voices exactly sound. The same. What was that, Harry? Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same. Yeah, like they the... kind of hold back a bit, and then it mm. comes like these funny little bit bits, yeah. Ramoney. And that there might be the same sort of deliberate laziness to it, perhaps. It's definitely kind of got that, yeah, New York thing to mm. it. Yeah, where you know. New York, um, 
sort of has that sneeriness in it, you know. It's yeah. the same way with like the strokes, you know. You can, with New Yorkers, you can never tell when they're being ironic and when they're being serious. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and this one feels a bit more narrative driven than your songs. Like it seems to be a, about a detective or something like that. Yeah. Like talking about things being confidential, working on the case. Yeah. And to prove it. Prove um, it. Um, show, us the the f- show, show us the facts. Uh, Was this ever used in a cop drama? That's the question. <laughs> no, no. They they all use the same song from CSI. <laughs> Not CSI. What's the... Um, um, CSI, they all used a different Who song. Yeah. Oh, no, I am thinking of CSI. The sunglasses yeah. that we mentioned. Yeah, yeah each CSI, because yeah. you had CSI Miami, CSI New York, didn't you? CSI yeah. Los Angeles, I think there was one. Um, they all used yeah. a different Who song. So like Barbara mm-hmm. O'Reilly, uh, won't get fooled again, etc., etc. Yeah. I think I think won't get fooled again. The famous one, isn't it? Um, oh, I th- I thought won't get fooled again was the more famous one, but yeah. um, but either uh, way, they but... all used the Who song. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I know uh, it's not the high level of comedy, but there's a I'm number on it. There's like um, <laughs> on Two and a Half Men, like um, one of the female. Uh, characters gets a uh, part in a CSI style drama and uh, for the soundtrack they use squeeze box (laughs) (laughs) brilliant but uh, yeah Um, I haven't really got much to say on this one because I say it it just feels like the most like it feels like compared to everything else if they just worked away at that a little bit more um, it would have kind of polished up a bit nicer okay i didn't really like see this song as much for less of any other songs to be honest no i mean no, when we're that. saying that's, things that's are lesser enough. or whatever we, we, yeah i mean i don't know about you guys but the yardstick's pretty fucking high on this album yeah i was just i was just gonna say the bar's <laughs> the bar's pretty pretty high um yeah no it's it's still perfectly competent and rounded but i, I sort of wanted more from it yeah, I think I think that's the best way. Of <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get what you mean. Saying it, it's a five minute song. <laughs> yeah, not not not. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, you wanted more color or more stuff going more on, complexity more complexity or depth. I just wanted it to be a bit more um, organized. Hmm. I wanted it to feel more like a song than kind of a structure for loose riffs to be played on. Yeah. But I did find it had like some of the best like earworms of the album. Oh, there's this one bit, not me. 355, which I just can't get out of my head. It's a really addictive guitar hook. You're just talking about that bit there where it's sort of like every time between the crew bits, it's, there's a different riff going on. Yeah, there's yeah. It's like it's really. Uh, it's about four different variations sort of on the refrain, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and it precedes I, it too. 
I did sort of notice in that final one, I think that's probably the last chorus of the song, but he, t- he sounds really desperate to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got increasingly more so as the song's gone on. He's like, prove it! <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like anticlimactically at the end, it's just like, this case is closed. <laughs> <laughs> this case is closed. And, and that's really Ramonesy. And yeah. it's like jokey and uh, yeah. comical compared to the rest of the album. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there is a lighter tone to this one, I would say. It's not. It's not quite like yeah, as lighthearted as like Detective Pikachu, but we're getting there. <laughs> you well, know what? I, I I'd have taken this over Detective Pikachu. I love know. Detective Pikachu. Oh, oh come on! I mean, like, what a what a brave step just to do a whole film about Pikachu as a detective. <laughs> if if I'd actually seen if I'd seen any detective work going on, I would have preferred uh, it. But. I mean, yeah. I mean, Wiley from an electric mouse. Wiley would sort of like it to actually be a murder mystery party sort of thing. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, there, there was, not to there spoil was a little anything, of a but, pipe in yeah, his mouth. I mean, not to spoil anything, but through this whole pandemic, Wiley's been wise, actually writing a um, murder mystery party themed um, by uh, Detective Pikachu. He's, he's got the costume and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the suspects of Bulbasaur. Uh, <laughs> It was square in the uh, dining room with oh. the little candle. Deaglet's looking pretty sauce. Charizard is the detective. He's just like, doesn't give a shit. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of Mr. Scarlet. Yeah. The effect of playing too much Among Us is having on. <laughs> I don't even play that. I, I probably should. Don't but... really get the reference. Uh, I know like there's the... like, it's. There's like a meme about sus, isn't there, or something? Which there are so many memes about Among Us. It's insane. Mm. The core concept is like the movie, The Thing. You're on a spaceship, and there's like uh, aliens among you, and you're trying to figure out who is going around killing everyone. Right. And so um, there's like these intermissions, and people vote on who's the murderer. Right. And they talk about who is sus. And that's where the phrase comes from. Yeah, like the on- the only the only thing that differentiates any character is your color. So uh, you can you just say things like "oh, red sus, blue sus." Right. And how do they work um, out that these people are sus? <laughs> uh, because they happen to be near a dead body, for example. Or, right. Okay. Like nobody, like nobody saw them. So the idea well, is during the happened. intermission, like it goes black, does it? And then. Like, yeah, basically, someone can press a big red button in the middle of the map. Yeah, and then yeah. everyone's just like called into a room and they talk about who's sus. Obviously, yeah, it's like the one who's been killing people yeah. try to like throw shade on other people and say they look sus. And right, okay, I kind of get what you mean. Crazy yeah. complicated. Like these these kind of games have been around before, but I think Among Us perfected the formula. Right, okay, or or certainly made it marketable. Yeah, it's just like a really fun video chat kind of gem so basically I I should download Among Us and have this playing on my headphones yeah right (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's a general gist see we're doing a service to these uh, Gen X's or whatever the hell they're called now (laughs) no are we a Gen X I don't even know I think I think we're at the bottom end of millennial the people beneath us are Gen Z Gen Z, Gen X is the yeah. generation above us. Then is it? Or we are we Gen Xers? Uh, no, Gen no. Y is Gen above X us, is... and then it's Boomers, and then it's Gen X. Gen X is 
quite a way away. Genesex is 1965 to 90. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking of Gen Z. I, all right. So what's the ne- so if we got to Z- Gen Z now, does that mean yeah. it goes all the way back to A? Was it, no, was they, it I think Gen I think Z A? The next, <laughs> no, the next one is Generation Alpha, I think. The Alpha variant. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, basically. Or the Zoomers is like late nineties to early twenty tens. Zoomers. Is that because of the you will like the software? That's Ah. that's Gen Z still. I think Zoomers. It's just a different. This isn't important. Uh, Are we going to like get to the age of sixty and like our kids are just going to go okay, Zoomer? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Zoom, zoom. Oh my God. Well, Gen Kill Z, are, they already hate millennials. And it's like, yeah. we get enough hate from people older than us. Why Why do the people younger than us also have to hate <laughs> us? But the funny thing is just like, people don't know who's what generation, but they still say, oh, bloody millennials or whatever. Yes, millennial just means anybody young enough to cause inconvenience to older people. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where but, I kind of decry millennials and then go, wait a second, I'm a millennial. Yeah, exactly. Just getting caught up a bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I feel as, as I get older, and I, I, I say this being someone who hasn't even turned 28 yet, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel more and more like I'm going towards the sort of old man yells at cloud. Yeah. <laughs> who is the oldest of us? We're all like um, 93 birth year, or? Uh, I was 92, so Ooh, I think I'm the oldest. Yeah, it shows. Not the later one. You say it shows. <laughs> no. <laughs> what was that, young man? <laughs> it's turned out. Of- <laughs> Just let so me turn up my hearing aid. <laughs> the youngest yeah. of us. I'm. I'm in July for my birthday. Um, I'm the end of this July. month. Okay. Okay. So I am slightly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anywho, uh, let's go on to our closer, Torn, uh, torn Curtain. Is a torn curtain. Let's go to Wally. Yeah, it's quite haunting. This one. Yeah, it's very con- very contemplative 
closer. Yeah. Uh, for the album. And again, good placement, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose a bit like Prove It, it sort of feels a lot more narrative than the rest of the tracks. Yes. Yeah. What are we getting from the lyrics? I'm, I'm kind of just getting a sort of general kind of relationship gone wrong kind of vibe. Yeah. Okay. So I, I dug even further into that and came up with uh, losing virginity. Ooh. As in okay. tearing a curtain, which is a bit graphic, but a, a lot of the lyrics kind of fit into that. I, I don't mean to spoil anything for you, Wiley, but if you're tearing the curtains, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Has no one heard of the Hitchcock film, Torn Curtain? No. Like, none of you? No, yeah. no, I'm aware of it. Okay, because that's where my head went straight away. Well, I, I don't know if the song fits that. <laughs> no, 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 Maybe. but... Uh, it's, it's it's obviously the same name, so it gets like kind of mixed up with the same like energy, I guess. Yeah, but there's also a planet called Venus, but I don't think. That's... <laughs> I thought they just named it after the uh, Banana Rama song. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yes. Uh, no, yeah. um, no, no, no. It's it's fair enough, though. Harry. But yeah, that that curtains is talking about. Uh, the Iron Curtain in that divided up Europe back in the time. I don't think that's what it's I think Martin's more into the right fit in my mind. Like, it feels like a domestic abuse kind of thing. They talk about where beauty meets abuse, and usually yeah. when it is like I mean, these domestic things happening, you, it kind of shows itself in like mm. tiny little clues which you might not pick up on if you're visiting the house of where it's happening i'm just going to read some lyrics could be one of her sort of things i'm just going to read some lyrics and we'll go with wiley's fred and see how it works christ (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not holding to the fred (laughs) torn curtain feels more like a rake torn curtain more like a how much rake oh a rape rape. (laughs) torn curtain how much does it take burn it down Ooh. Oh yeah, I wouldn't burn it down. <laughs> Do you want to go even further down the Wiley is a wrong and is an idiot for trying vibe? I... Um, no, that was it. Okay. Um, but no, as I say, I, I think the, the the abusive relationship thing kind of, you've got beauty meets abuse, love's all ridicule, um, holding yeah, to the phrase. like yeah. tears. Yeah, holding back the years. Uh, feels more like a rake, how much did it take? So yeah, it's it's about someone who's abused or hurt, um, you know, walking away. Mm. And sort of saying, you know, sort of ruin the time that they've wasted. Yeah. I, I like the lyric too about Tom Kurt and such an expose, like um, mm. revealing what what's happened, kind of. Yeah. Because cause curtains have that sort of like aesthetic yeah. as well, like stage plays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the song sort of almost opens with like a kind of variation on the kind of classic stage show drum roll. Yeah, you, you just kind of expect like something to come in from that. Like often they do like a lot of drums and then something catches you off guard after that. Yeah. You know, um, as I say, it sort of feels like, you know, a little kind of theatre kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not yeah. Sergeant Pepper, but... No. It but definitely carries that same... Like a little mi- kind of micro-play. <laughs> yeah. 
Back when the BBC used to uh, play for today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this song really creates a mood and it is theatrical. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, really grandiose as well. When, when they get to the chorus, it's so huge. Yeah, it feels like a, I don't know, like a 12-piece band, like <laughs> the E Street Band or something like that. Yeah. There's so much energy and so much going on that feels apocalyptic but yeah it's just like a smaller band really i think it's because they play it down so low that when you do start adding instruments it feels like you're doubling yeah Mm. i'm gonna say aside from marky moon this is probably the most proggy yeah i'd say that yeah of them it it gets that sort of operatic bigger feel to it yeah and here's the second longest as well yeah yes there is that i didn't (laughs) (laughs) which is a common thread of progressive for (laughs) yeah I didn't want to. I didn't want to like stick on just that definition, but I, I hadn't noticed. Is it a long track? You must be listening to prog rock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm just sort of imagining of some advert there, like prog rock classics, brought to you by Jeremy <laughs> Clarkson. You know. <laughs> Why is Jeremy Clarkson bringing everything to us? Um, I just, I, I, he's a, we know he's a massive Genesis fan, so okay, yeah, you know he is a big prog rock person. All right, um, and you know if you're going to buy like a drive-in compilation album, it would probably be Jeremy Clarkson. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I don't like the idea of giving him more to do, but it's fine. <laughs> Songs to punch producers to. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> it's a weird compilation of them. <laughs> that, that is a weird one. Oddly specific. <laughs> Seems like you're just selling to Jeremy Clarkson. I'm trying to think a sort of compilation album of songs you might listen to while playing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire as well. <laughs> I don't know what would work. Uh, everyone's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> winner takes it all. Money, money, money. Yeah. Take a chance on me. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, just, it's just all of his greatest hits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but with a millionaire vibe. That's, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, but Tom Curtin, getting back to that. I'd, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we all liked it somewhat. Yeah. Uh, shall we go on to final thoughts? Sure. Okay. Um, let's go to Wally first. Go on. I feel like this has been a fairly quick episode, but there are only eight tracks. Yes. So that that makes sense. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I enjoyed this album a lot. Uh, it gets more experimental as it goes along, I think. So we start out with sort of See No Evil and uh, Venus, and th- those songs are slightly more familiar. Yeah. I find, uh, and then we we get into ones later on that seem a little bit more experimental. Uh, there's nothing that's too unfamiliar, but you can tell they're trying new things as they go along, which is really nice. Um, you can feel, you, I can, I certainly recognise a lot more influences in the earlier songs as well. Like we say, "See No Evil" was a little bit punky, for example. Yeah. Um, but they sort of break away from that, and definitely later on, we get these sort of more wholesome journey style narrative tracks like Elevation and Torn Curtain. Yeah. 
uh, which I and, and I quite like that. Um, so o- overall, I'm going to go for an eight out of ten, I think. Boom. Which probably is probably going to be low compared to a couple of you by the sounds of it. Um, but I, I I enjoyed it, but I think on a personal level, I wouldn't choose it over some of the other things we've listened to. Yeah, and that's not to say that it's bad by any shout. Eight is an excellent score. Oh, indeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <so>. Harry. <laughs> I'm already defending myself. Oh, do we want to get Wiley's standout? Oh, yeah, go on. Highlights, lowlights. Two, worst one. Uh, okay, so my top two. My favorite track is Venus, surprisingly. Okay. And I, I know that neither of you would like. Well, especially Martin didn't like it. I don't think we hated um, it. It was just. It just no, wasn't no, I'm not. No, I think. Yeah, uh, but no, I really like. I think it's probably just the riffs mm-hmm. in that really stand. I like a good riff. That's my. Uh, there, there are good song. riffs yep. all over this track, all over this album, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I enjoyed Venus a lot more, and I was initially thinking of choosing "See No Evil," but the second and third listens of "Marky Moon" really stood it out to me, as Ooh. well as our exploration of it. So that's gonna be that's gonna be number two. Okay, and the worst uh, worst one is worst one is prove it for reasons that we've already said. It's the only one that yeah. had anything negative from us. Yeah, not because it was a particularly bad, <laughs> bad song, song, no, just because just it wasn't a particularly was, amazing song. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Like even even first time listening without talking to you guys, I said it was a little bit blander than the others. Yeah, so that that's my worst one. Unfortunately, there has to be a worst one. So sorry, television. But that's that's it. Uh, Harry, yeah, uh, Wiley's covered a lot of ground here. Um, it's, Thank you. I was really surprised by this album. Um, I'd never heard of television before. Oh, well, heard of television, but not <laughs> television. You'd you'd watched a lot of television, but never listened to it. Uh, that, that, that's what you go. Yeah. yeah. I, you can't listen to television as a podcast, I don't suppose. That'd be yeah. weird. As Razor um, Light put it, there's nothing on the TV and nothing on the radio that means that much to me. <laughs> oh. You mean what a again? shit song. I forgot about that song. It's like a childhood one. Oh, the best songwriter <laughs> since Bob Dylan, <laughs> in his own words. What? What? <laughs> Johnny Bowie of Razorhead declared himself the best songwriter since Bob Dylan. Or was How it better than Dylan? Yourself? It was like, oh my god! He definitely god. compared himself to Dylan. Which yeah. Is, uh, who who is the best songwriter since Bob Dylan? Then? There you go. That's a that's a question. I, do you want us to answer? <laughs> or that, it depends on. No, no. I open it out it to our listeners. Depends on your criteria. <laughs> If you want to talk about political um, storytelling, I don't think there's many. If you're just mm. talking about people who can write songs, I suppose someone like Taylor Swift. Oh, that's a, you know what? That's a really good point. I, I, I like it. Um, I'm not a fan okay. of Taylor Swift, but I can I can see where Martin's coming from. She does write songs. I think her most recent albums really surprise you. Yeah. She's kind of gone for a more homegrown aesthetic and gone away from these sort of like pop cliches that you might know her from. Mm. Yeah. And I was really surprised by that. Like she did like this um, album called Folklore, which is kind of embolic of the whole no, like, uh, lockdown feel. Like she recorded at home, like acoustic key and more singer-songwritery. 
Yeah. Um, it's pretty decent, actually. Join us next week. For the- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, this album, television, 1977. <laughs> uh, yeah, I-, I didn't like it to begin with. Um, but the way I consume music mostly is when I'm cycling about delivering stuff and I wear like phone conduction headphones and it's really hard to get the whole dynamic feel of an mm. album like this. Yeah. Um, but then when we are like preparing for the podcast, I gave it a go more of like bigger headphones at home, giving it like real time to breathe and focus in on stuff and uh, mm. it becomes like it's a whole other beast. Yes. And this isn't an really... album you can background. You've got to kind of be in for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is like an album that really rewards uh, like repeat listens. Like Wiley said how um, Marky Moon grew on him because each time you listen to it, there's something else that you no, pick out. Yeah. And he said how you enjoyed it more of each listen. Yeah, I, I was going to most songs. I was going to put it on in the background of something else, but I listened to about 30 seconds of the first track, See No Evil, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I want to focus on this. I might need to be <laughs> present for this one. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think. Yeah, I think part of this podcast is I am noticing which ones I need to pay attention to, which is good. Because <laughs> a lot of them, I would just be like, "Yeah, I can listen to this while I'm walking or while I'm doing work." Or yeah, I think I think I did one while playing Scrabble, which was fun. So. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's it was the height good. of the mystery. Elevation oh, scores pretty... twelve. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what elevation yeah, scores. Probably Wiley knows this because he's a bit of a nerd. But oh, it depends where you put it on the Scrabble board and whether you've got any double letters or double words. Exactly, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a. I've not played Scrabble guy. since I was about seven. Oh, it is twelve points on its own. Is it? <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. How, how did you get that? <laughs> I just plucked that out of my ass. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, back to the album. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So I'm a big guitar guy, and I, as we talked about, I love bands that have like dueling guitars. Dueling like, banjos. Um, we, we talked about like Finn Lizzy and Leonard Skinner. Uh, I talked about King Gizzard have like a whole chunk of guitars. Yeah. Um, and, and I really like the start is like um two guitars but they're mixed on either side yes a lot of the time and you hear yeah. like one doing one thing and the other doing the other thing and they're really complementative but completely different things are happening but they create this harmony which is really amazing and i love the tonality they use oh yeah like the sounds that they're getting out of their guitars you know yeah i mean andy john's one hell of an engineer has to be said like you know if you work with jimmy page and you work with Keith Richards and um, yeah, it's is Mick Taylor on um, Go to Two. That's the last one he did with him. Mm. Um, you know, absolutely stunning guitarists. You know, who are grounded within blues and rock and roll. You know, Jimmy Page, one of the most famous guitarists of all time. If you can engineer for Jimmy Page, you can engineer for anyone. Yeah, one of the um, I, when I was doing my research, one of the quotes that stood out to me was from. Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist John Fashanti. Oh yes, and he talked about how Verlaine's like expressive sound, like with his guitar, really made a massive impression on him. Yeah, and I, I really love Fashanti, and I really see what he means mm. because um, it's just like 
it doesn't feel like scales so much or no like how guitars used in a lot of songs it does feel really emotive yeah it and, feels a bit sort of avant-garde in the sense that he'll just play what he needs to get what he wants across he's not yeah, bothered about the playing mood or the aesthetic yeah. he'll move away from the technicality to give across the emotion but he knows technically how to be a good player as well mm. you know it's a kind of and, weird balance and i can see the influence i had on red hot chili peppers oh it's, yeah especially john fashanti's solo career which is really underrated mm. I, I mean um, like when you said red hot chili peppers there and i was trying to think in my head like chili songs and you know television songs um the first thing that came to mind was the solo on uh universally speaking oh, okay yeah definitely um, I mean, just pull up. It's one of my favorite ah. solos. It's so easy to play. It must be said. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of the, the first guitar solos I ever learned. With uh, guitar solos, yeah. they can bring about a minimalism, which really like hammers home like a lot of the yeah guitar notes. But I mean, just that it's kind of towards the end. It's only about thirty seconds, is it, to close the song? So try from about there. pleasant that one actually <laughs> it's a great song <laughs> like yeah i guess you could say like from the 90s onwards a lot of guitarists got a bit obsessed with like distortion and yeah making their guitars sound like something else well yeah, yeah. red or cheap was one of the only bands who really did go with a lot of clean tones in there yeah. yeah i mean um if you think with like stone roses you know first album absolute classic but um, you know, John Squire, quite classically, you know, was he was quite a cleanish guitarist, you know. And then that second album comes out and he's like fucking Jimmy Page, you know. Yeah. And everyone went, What the hell it. happened there? You know. They were like writing sixties <laughs> esque pop songs and now he wants to be Jimmy Page. You know. And that's I think that's half the reason why a lot of people hated that album. You know, it's not actually that bad an album at all. There's good songs on it, but it was just such a stylistic change. Mm. But another thing is like the bass is really good on this album. Yeah, um, it's it's really pushed out like more. We haven't like given it much credit. No, no, but no. It's, it has like a really big presence as well. We've been too give, really like that. we've been too busy giving credit to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> just props all round. <laughs> Yes. Um, Bravo. Yeah. So wrap it Anyway, up. on to the score. Uh, this is the closest I've been to giving a 10. Um, uh, I, I've been thinking that, that, about that it. That means it's not a 10. <laughs> I, I've really been thinking about it. Yeah. But I'm not so fond of like... 
and the opening of the album so much. Uh, I like what it becomes. Mm. Yeah. I can um, I I feel like the opening of the album sort of gradually eases you into it. Yeah, it grounds it a bit. Yeah, rather than I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge an album like this a bit of a a bit of a, a more standard opener. Yeah. I think I said that when we listened to See No Evil, but Definitely. I mean I I, I love vocal... See No Evil as an opener, so you know it, it's no, it's a great. I like I said, I was considering putting it as one of yeah. my tops. So you see no evil with see no evil. Yeah, I'm not going to say much more. <laughs> Otherwise, I won't have anything else to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And the vocal style did take a while to grow on mm. me, as well as like yeah. the lyrical um, side of things. Uh, like it took me a long time to actually realize what was going on a lot of songs what the theme was a lot of songs and they can be pretty deceptive like that uh, imagine for you martin you listen to us a hell of a lot and it's like something that really you can dive uh, into yeah I, I mean i, I, I you go for it's it. just on my like ipod when i was at college so yeah for sure i know i know this <laughs> ipod <laughs> um but yeah uh, did you pick your favorite two worst one he didn't yeah, even uh, give a score yet my, my, my score, uh, as you might guess. Yeah, sorry, that's why I thought he'd already given this score. <laughs> <laughs> it's all gone. I'm not going to give it a 10, but he isn't going to give it a 2 then, is he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want, I can give it a 9.5, but I'm not sure that's enough. Well, we'll stick with the 9. We haven't. I think we allowed we a couple of half scores else. to Wiley at the beginning of the podcast, and then he started giving us 0.5s every week, and we said no. If it's a 0.5, you're either rounding I, it up or rounding as I rem- it down. As I remember it, every... As I remember, every time I give a point five, I always say which way I'd go if I was four. Yes, so we always so just we, push so it just, that way anyway. We just went yeah, with that. yeah. It's like in this case, I probably would have gone eight point five, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I went down to an eight. Uh, oh, if I was forced, maybe I would give it ten. It's a difficult. Thing. We'll yeah. go with the nine. I think uh, you know. 10, you know what? I think I, a I re- ten. I you've got to really you... feel like you want to give it a ten. Yeah. Um, yeah. You. You have. Nine I mean, how many tens have we actually awarded so far? I think Wiley's one. given one ten, and that's it. Yeah, I went. I gave ten to AC. Yeah, I don't think I've given a ten yet. I've been it. very close. I've given no. a few nines. No one else. But has, no. no one's given a ten. Yeah. Uh, for, for my favorite ones, we do. Have yeah, go on. Yeah. It's going to be the two long ones. Yeah. I really love Marky Moon yeah. and Torn Curtain. Marky Moon is just, just an epic. Amazing. It's an epic. Beast yeah. of a song. Obviously, you talked about it as a standard, but I never heard of it mm-hmm. before. Like, saying that people would pick out from this scene. Uh, it's just really nice setting, really colourful. So much riffs going yeah. on and it has its but own of co- life. Of course, Harry, now that you've listened to it, you would pick it out. Yeah, so, that, that, that's the thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, the Marky Moon, mate. <laughs> and, uh, I yeah. like how it sounds like a name as well. Like Marky Mark E. Moon. Well, it sounds like Marky... It's like Marky Mark, yeah. isn't it? Especially, yeah. <laughs> you know, with my sort of slight speech impediment, it sort of sounds really... It's a really awkward one for me to have as a sort of album to talk about Marky Moon, you know, because I can't pronounce my R's properly. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. Oh, I, I have a bigger problem with that than you think. <laughs> Uh, uh, Torn Curtain as well, just, uh, yeah, it could be longer, actually, seven minutes, and it fades away in this big bit. Yeah. I'd love to hear more of it, actually. It's a great closer, mm. yeah. 
yeah, yeah, I love it when things get a bit more dramatic or a bit more dark for the ending. Yeah. Okay. Well, worst track. Dum, dum, dum. I'm actually going to go with See No Evil. Ooh. For me, Strong. it's... Shots fired. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't think it's, it gels uh, with the rest of the Honestly, album. I would say it was the least Harry track. Yeah, yeah. So there is, there is that. Yeah, I don't like things in the, too much on the straight and narrow. This yeah. is his raise your hands. This is definitely that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. The, the chorus doesn't do much for me. I don't really okay. get the whole aesthetic of the song. Um, no, that's okay. It doesn't. It feels more like a punk song mm. than the rest of it's like folk rocky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and the ending's pretty boring as well for me. Okay. No, I understand. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, for me, obviously, you know, as I say, this was on my iPod all the time when I was at college and university. You know, I've only, uh, I own it on vinyl. It's one of the first ones that I bought uh, when I really started getting into vinyl. So, yeah, it's not a surprise that this one's a real kind of foundation album for me. Um, that yeah. said, I, you know, it's an amazing album, but there were a couple of tracks that sort of bring the score down from a 10 for me. Like, yeah. a 10's got to be an absolute knockout the whole way through. Um, there are exceptions to that rule, and maybe when we cover those albums, I'll explain later. Um, but <laughs> yeah. for, for this one, I'm giving it a 9. I think even, I think for me, a 10 would be, even if there are bad, not not bad, but like songs that are lacking yeah. something, as long as they still add something to the overall experience, yeah, yeah. I would consider it yeah. possible. Sounds are not filler. Um, like saying it. Fit, I mean, yeah, I, there's a couple I, of I feel like... that I would probably, if they came up, I'd give a 10 to, despite the fact there's tracks that I might skip. <laughs> but yeah. Like the white album Because the, the whole album is, you know, it's just so great, you know, all the tracks around those yeah. crap tracks are just above anything else, you know. Yeah. But I'm not going to name names because we might get those albums. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so solid 9 out of 10 for me. Um, How did you get into the band? Like you talked about, listen to me. I honestly teenager. can't remember. Um, I was just one of these. I'd just go. I'd flip from band to band. You know, yeah. especially in those early okay. days of Spotify. You know, I just you just literally just I'd go like listen. You know, listen to this band, and then I'd like go. Okay, so you know, fans of this band like that band, or I'd read an article in the Enemy, or I'd read a book. You know. And it would talk about another band. I'll go, okay, right. So I'll make a note to listen to that band. And, you know, here I am, you know, 15 when, when years they later this. with 500 vinyls. When they, re- <laughs> when they released this album, there was a massive enemy article. I yeah, think, it's a two-page that... article by a writer called Nick Kent, yeah. who's, which, who might have been where I heard of television, but I think I already knew of television at that have point. you heard of television? <laughs> but... Um, Nick Kent was one of my favorite writers um, and his book, um, what's it called? Uh, um, Apathy for the Devil, that's it. Um, Yeah, his book, Apathy for the Devil, um, about his sort of writing career, how he nearly joined the Sex Pistols, how he got um, beaten up by uh, Sid Vicious with a bike chain and uh, nearly (laughs) succumbed to uh, heroin addiction. It's a fucking great book. Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. Makes sense of the title. I guess it's also a pun on sympathy for the devil. Yes. Yeah. Mm. But um, yeah, as I say, an amazing writer. There's a good, um, good little collection of his writing. Sort of done the same way that um, they compile like um, the articles by Lester Bangs nowadays. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely a very you know one of the best journalists of his era. Yeah, I guess like a Roger Ebert for music journalism. Yeah, I suppose yeah, I so. Think. I mean, Nick Kent, I think among that generation, sort of beloved because he lived it you mm. know this is like someone who you know joined in the early 70s was into rock and roll led zeppelin all that you know then got into punk tried to join a punk band you know <laughs> and spearhead you know and talked about the punk movement while being a punk you know i mean he only really got in yeah, i mean he only really got into punk because he was buying from the same dealers but <laughs> <laughs> All the same, you know. Just was convenient. He was just finding out about these punk bands. You know, he don't, he don't, I'm not saying he didn't like the music, but, you know, he's finding out about it because he was hanging around the same squats that the uh, punks were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anywho, yeah. Uh, Favourite two, worst one. Um, probably no surprise. Uh, Cena Evil, Marky Moon for best two. Yep. Um, Cena Evil just grabs you and takes you on that ride. Uh, Marky Moon it just it's the one track you can take out of this album it just Ooh, yeah <laughs> it's the one track you, you you can take out of this album it just sits on its own strength you know if you, if you yeah. said to someone listen to this album they go right um, you know what track would you recommend you know you'd give them that one and you go I'll yeah. see you in, they say, oh, I'll, I'll see I've you in 10 I've, minutes I've only got five <laughs> <laughs> The guys, it's like, I don't have time to listen to a whole album. I've only got like five minutes. So just, yeah, I haven't got time to listen to oh. the full 40. Can I just have a quarter of it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. If you were forced to like, choose another one, like I imagine like Marky Moon gets it's, yeah. a bit worn out for you. Um, yeah, but years. again, I, I think it deserves its acclaim as a song. Mm. I mean, if you were telling me to... Take it out of the equation. I'm going to say Guiding Light. Okay, yeah. I could hear the fandom voiding for that one. Yeah, I think it's a really great rock ballad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, alt-rock ballad. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how you're... Um, uh, as for worst I song, prove it. Underdog. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to say worst song, prove it. Yeah, prove why. It's just... You know, it's just a bit messy on a very well-structured album. It's not a bad song. It just it just lacks that little bit of structure that the rest of the album has. Every other song just feels honed to its tightest possible. Like when they're loose, it's purposely loose. Whereas Prove It, it feels like they just didn't bother trying to tie in it. Mm. But it's not mm. a bad song by any measure. It's just not a great song. It's pretty drawn out, like vocally. Yeah. Well. I say it's not a bad song. Let things linger. It's just not, you know, just not up there with the rest. And I mean, that's probably why it went from a ten to a nine for me. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of other songs that aren't quite at like a ten level either. Like um, "Torn Curtain," I like it, but I don't like it enough to say, you know, ten out of ten style song. You know, 
Yeah, a bit too theatrical for your movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you all, I think you also said similar things about Venus. Yeah, Venus well. again. Um, I feel it's done better by elevation. Um, Interesting. But yeah, uh, elevation, the uh, television song, not the U2 song. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why why you chose Venus, though. I think it's a really lovely pop song. Yeah, oh yeah, don't get me wrong. It's a nice two. pop song, but I, I don't know. I, I feel Elevation's a better pop song myself, in a weird way. What do you two want? I think because it, it's got a little bit oh, of... So I've lost track of you now. Huh, sorry? You didn't specify if it was the U2 one this time, so now I'm confused. <laughs> oh dear. And and with that, with that, we <laughs> shall pick next week's album. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Oh God! I was going to say, hopefully not. Oh, I wonder if that album's on there. Um, all that you can't leave behind. I think it's the album, isn't it? I assume that every band I've heard of is in this. Just book. by virtue of having heard. <laughs> Just because of it. I've heard of them, therefore they must be really good. <laughs> yeah, but I'd imagine there's at least four U two albums. Probably. Yeah. I've, <laughs> Just don't know whether. I mean, all that you can't leave behind is a sort of late Renaissance album for you two. But is it good enough to be on this sort of list? I don't know. I think it was like a really blockbuster release, though. I mean, if they have Coldplay in this, I don't see why. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. That one on here. Yeah, it is on here. Mm. Um, Yeah. Atom Baby. Baby, Yeah. And Joshua Tree, I'm assuming. And. And War, they put War, you know, so four, four U2 albums on this list. Wow, oh, there you go. Good going, U2. Some Irish representation. They got, they got more, they got more albums on there than television. <laughs> <laughs> well, television only have two albums, don't they? <laughs> well, that as well. Yeah, that, that's the joke, Harry. Oh. <laughs> Wait, they, they came back with another one. They've got three albums out in total. So they've got this, um, they followed it up with um, an album called Adventure, which is actually quite good, but strangely, they went a bit more poppy. Oh. Um, I mean, I don't uh, mind pop, but they... It's not what they did best. Yeah, and then they released an album in 1991. The name eludes me right now. But it's got good songs on it, but it's 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 like kind of like one of those albums. It sounds like if if the first two sound like a kind of a bit of a party, like that one sounds like after the party's over, like the morning after the party kind of thing. You know, everyone's a bit hungover. Like, don't play too loud. I just <laughs> it's a lot more somber yeah. and reflective. Mm. Yeah, I also heard that Tom Verlaine was going to produce. Jeff Buckley's That's correct, album. yes. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. What if, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're both kind of like one album outfits. Uh, well, I'll say television, two albums. For unfortunate um, reasons for Jeff Buckley, yeah. but yeah. And I mean, um, as I say, uh, Verlaine himself did have a fairly decent solo career, it has to be said as well. Like, you know, mm. it wasn't like he uh, completely uh, disappeared off the planet. Mm. Um, but yeah. But yeah, going from 10 to, I don't know, kind of obscurity. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've still not drawn the fucking number. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, okay. I, <laughs> I thought, thought no, I, I was just I talking was, while we, we were flicking, you know, flicking through going, oh, I wonder what we could get, you know, without actually getting the bloody number. <laughs> trying to fill yeah. space, yeah. My bad. <laughs> what, do we, what do we want for next um, The next episode? Not next I say this every episode. week, you know, I'd, I'd like a full-blown female album. <laughs> Yeah, but I, th- I feel like every week I say it, so 
it's unlikely if we, it's going yeah, to happen. Yeah, if we don't say it this week, maybe we'll... There's that it. little bit of feeling in my head, though, as I'm going, don't, you know, don't jinx it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I like how Wiley said, like, um, not next week, <laughs> we fall into a trap, we're just saying... Next time. Every yeah. week. <laughs> On the next <laughs> Album of the Week podcast. <laughs> Wiley discovers he actually knows an album. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, let's draw this anyway. Uh, so let's hit the number button. Wait, we still haven't hit no, it. We, we keep talking. Sure. Keep, like, right, so I'm going to bring it up now, okay? Sure. Random sure. number generator. Google. I've been hoping not. I've sort of been talking, hoping that you were doing it in the background. No, sorry, I'm just very lazy. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. So I've got seven, four, five. Seven? Yeah. So, no, so no, no, very no, no, sorry, early I'm just, if it's seven. Three-digit number. <laughs> you said yes. <laughs> number seven. seven. Would be brilliant. <laughs> no, yeah. but well, is this like 745. <laughs> and um, how he's going to cream. Ooh. Is it Beck again? <laughs> <laughs> is it Smashing No, Pops? this is... I, I know for sure this is one of Harry's favourite albums of all time. Oh, oh that's... It's Grace by Jeff Buckley. <laughs> oh my god! Just after we talked about yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. The one and only album by Jeff Buckley before he drowned. Yeah. It's gonna be a fun one. Yeah. Um, as I say, and um, another album that I actually own as well. So. Yeah. Um, I only have and, like, and you know what? Another album I've never heard of. So. Uh... <laughs> Everyone's in familiar territory. <laughs> I mean, you'll know one song on this. Oh, that sounds like a challenge. It's in Shrek. Oh, well, no, I'll probably know it then. It's covered by <laughs> an X Factor contestant. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, his his, his yeah. version's a cover as well, it should be said. but I'm more likely to know the Shrek one than the X Factor cover. So. But yeah. Yeah, Shrek has a high stand. <laughs> Yeah. As we as we've come to learn. <laughs> yeah. If it's in Shrek, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, like... I'm looking forward to the Smash yeah. Mouth episode. Just... Uh, yeah, so um <laughs> join us next week for Parachutes by Coldplay. Oh no, sorry, it's um <laughs> Jeff Buckley. <laughs> Easy to Ooh. confuse the two. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I've been no. your host, Martin McDonnell. Uh, join us next time when we will be going through the album Grace by Jeff Buckley. It's goodbye from me. And it's also goodbye from me. And a third goodbye from me. Look at that. Three whole goodbyes for you, you lucky people. You lucky, lucky bastards. Let's go with it. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. <laughs> Scram. Scram. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Time big enough for both of us. <laughs> Worst sign off ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I give that sign off a one out of ten. So <laughs>